there are people who are considered conspiracy theorists. These are people who put forth or believe in theories concerning certain events that happen. Here's a definition of a conspiracy theory. A theory that explains an event as being the result of a plot by a covert group or organization, a belief that a particular unexplained event was caused by such a group. Perhaps one of the most famous conspiracy theories that if, we were, if you were to say, hey, name a conspiracy theory, perhaps the most famous, the JFK assassination. Of course, there's the official story the story that is told by the news and the government, Lee Harvey Oswald, went up onto the sixth floor of a building overlooking Daly Plaza there in Dallas, Texas. And according to the story, he shot the president. He shot John Fitzgerald Kennedy as he rode by in an open vehicle. That's the, that's the story. And then, of course, there are Conspiracy theories that have come up surrounding the assassination, the JFK assassination. That this wasn't the doing of some rogue lone gunman, but something that was pulled off by a bigger group, something planned, something involving even more than one shooter. And so you have the theories of the multiple shooters and so on and so forth. Whatever you think about the JFK assassination, the reality is, is that there are events that happen that are a result of the plans and the gathering together, the planning of people behind closed doors to, to make those things happen, agreed upon by more than one individual and carried out. This would then be, I think, at least the, the very base definition of a conspiracy. The Bible tells us this, that the kings of the earth will conspire together against the Messiah and indeed already have. We find this in the book of the Psalms, Psalm chapter two, beginning at verse one, I'll have it on the screen. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So we learn as we study scripture that there was a gathering together against the Messiah at his first coming, resulting in his arrest and crucifixion, which he allowed to take place, right? Which he allowed to take place, and there will be a conspiring together, a gathering together of kings and nations leading up to and culminating with Jesus' second coming. Yes, they are gathering together, and they will, and this is what the Bible teaches us this will happen it's been done and it will happen and this all will be done because god determined beforehand that it should happen now when we come to our text tonight we see something similar we come to a passage where isaac 
is going to die and he's going to bless his firstborn son, give him that blessing. And we see him doing that. And then we see Esau responding. And then, of course, we see this conspiring together of Rebekah and Jacob. And it all comes together. It all kind of works its way to accomplish what God had already beforehand determined would happen and had said that it would happen. Okay, so tonight we'll look at how Jacob steals the blessing from Isaac. God had prophesied to, to Rebekah when she was pregnant with the boys, Esau and Jacob, that the younger would serve the older. In our text tonight, we will see the posturing and even conspiring together to bring about that outcome. What we want to see tonight, what we'll look at tonight is this point, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time. We're going to read through the story. We're going to take a look at it. But here's the thought tonight, that God is sovereign over the affairs of men, and he is working his sovereign will in the world to bring about, to bring his son into the world on that first time, and he's working again to bring his son back into the world again at the second coming. And so, and he's sovereign over all of it. So let's look at this passage um, of Jacob stealing the blessing from Isaac. It's Genesis chapter 27. Let's pick it up, verse one. It says this. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered him, here I am. And then he said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make the savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac was getting old and he didn't know when he was going to die. And of course, none of us know when we're going to die, right? You know, there is a day coming that we will breathe our last. God knows the day. If he should tarry, that we will breathe our last. And so we need to do the things, whatever it is you want to do, do it now. <laughs> Plan to do it and do it now because you don't know the day. Sometimes people put off, well, I want to do this, I want to do this, and never get to it. Um, so if there's something you want to do, do it. And there was something that Isaac had on his mind. He was going to bring that blessing, the, the blessing of the, the firstborn, the blessing to his elder son, and he's going to bring it. Now, some commentators have kind of written in here that Isaac certainly knew about what the Lord had said to Rebekah, or at least he probably knew, and that he was kind of, kind of working kind of his own angle here and kind of staying true to the blessing of the firstborn, even though that it was already out that Jacob had bought, purchased the, the, the birthright from Esau in, in, in that chapter where, where he had done that. And so you have Isaac, he doesn't know that when he's going to die and he wants Esau to come. And so he sends him out into the field. Remember, Isaac was a hunter and he sends him out to the field to, to eat, uh, to get some game and to bring it, fix it, 
and bring it to his father Isaac. Uh, and Isaac loved Esau's hunting. He loved the venison that uh, he would go out and get. And so bring it here, fix it up for me. I'll eat, my soul will bless you, and everything will be, be good in that sense. But the story goes on. Pick it back up, verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me some game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So Rebecca, what's going on here? Rebecca has a plan. She, she had, of course, the word from the Lord, right? Remember, there was something going on. Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm thankful about that. But hey, there's something else going on here. There's World War One, I guess, at that point going on in, 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 inside of me. And of course, the Lord told her, you have two you have twins, but not only do you have twins, you have two nations in you. And, and, and here's, the, here's the, 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 the thing, the younger one, the older will serve the younger. And so this was something that was spoken to Rebecca, and she had this in her heart, in her mind, in her, in her soul. And, and so now what is she going to do? She's going to make sure that this happens, right? She's going to get involved. Is that the Lord needed help in bringing about what he said was going to come to, come to be in the earth. He, 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 uh, she's going to help him. And not only that, but she's going to help him by bringing about uh, this plan, you know, with her son and, and it all being done in a really deceptive way. But this, this is what they did. This is what they agreed to do. And, you know, Jacob knows. He says, I don't, I, I'm, not like, I'm not like Esau. Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. And dad's going to know that it's not me. So she even had a plan for that. She had Esau's clothes, and she even took some of the skins of those goats and she put it on his arms and on the back of his neck and gave him Esau's clothes so that that just the whole thing would come off without a hitch. 
And so this is the plan. And so Jacob goes in to his father with, with the meal. Let's pick it back up. Verse 18. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. And he blessed him, and he said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine, and let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers, and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So he has gone in, Isaac, uh, Jacob has gone into Isaac. He's brought the meal that Rebecca, his mother, had uh, prepared. They're working the plan. This is the plan. We're going to basically go in and deceive uh, your father, and, he, and he's going to give you the blessing. So Jacob went in, and he deceived his father. He said, come here, let me, let me feel you. He felt the, the hairy goat skins on his arms and on the back of his neck and, and, and all of it. And he even said, look, you, it, the voice is Jacob's, but you, you feel like Esau. And he ate of the, the dinner, he, he, he ate of the venison, he drank the wine, and then he asked Jacob to come closer. Isaac kisses him and even smells the smell, smell of his clothing. He said, well, certainly this is Esau. And he blesses him. And he gives him that blessing of the firstborn, the blessing that he would rule over the house. There was a, a, a blessing that was given to the firstborn. It was the firstborn that was given a double portion of an inheritance. And he was given kind of a priestly right over the family as well. And so it was a very big deal. It was, it was this patriarchal blessing. And not only that, but it was in a way kind of passing down the Abrahamic covenant, the, the covenant that God had spoke to Abraham and now the covenant that had been passed down and God had directly spoken to Isaac. And now that place was being given to this one that he was blessing. And of course, it was Jacob and it wasn't Esau. But let's pick back up with the story. Verse 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had 
scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau's brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master and all of his brothers, and I have given him as servants with grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said, father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, a father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be at the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So... We see as soon as Jacob left the presence of his father, that Esau came in. He came in with the meal that he had prepared, that he had gone out, he had, got, he had hunted, he had gotten the game. He had prepared the meal just as his, his father Isaac loved. And of course, he had been doing this for many years. And as soon as he came in, it became abundantly clear this great deception had gone down. So he said, who are you? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I have blessed him. And it was Jacob. It was Jacob. And Esau says, isn't he rightly called Jacob? Because remember, we talked about the meaning of the name Jacob, that Jacob was born, he came, he was born holding on to the heel of his brother and Jacob actually has the, within the name, it's actually a play on words that actually supplanter or heel catcher um, or deceiver. And so is he not rightly called Jacob? But Isaac said, I have blessed him. And Esau says, well, can't you bless me too? And of course, Esau, there's a bitter cry because what has happened is that God, that, that, that Isaac has given the blessing to Jacob. This patriarchal blessing to the firstborn has been given to Jacob. And, and of course, it was, it was a case, a cause for bitter, uh, bitter weeping on the case of Esau. And of course, the text actually even tells us that Isaac trembled. And uh, there's, there's a significance there that the, even Isaac trembling over this situation that was happening. Now, as we've read this passage, we've read the whole passage, and the question becomes, what about this deception? What about this that Rebekah 
and Jacob have done. Certainly this can't be right. Certainly this is not what the Lord intended. And the answer is no. The Lord has never intended for us to be deceitful. He's never intended for Rebecca to act in this way and Jacob to act in this way and, 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 and of course, you know, misrepresenting the truth and lying and deceiving and, and, and not only just lying and deceiving, but deceiving on this big of a point, on this big of a lie, to deceive, to gain the blessing from Isaac. And so the question is, what about this deception, this, this, this conspiring together of Rebekah and Jacob? Was this God's plan? Was this the way that God uh, had you know, set it up for this to happen like this? Rebekah was told by God when she was pregnant with the boys that there were two nations in her and that the older would serve the younger. And so she knew what it was that God had told her and we've got we've to certainly make this happen. She was trying to help God out through this conspiracy and deceit. Did she fulfill the will of God? Or was the will of God fulfilled in spite of her and Jacob's actions? These are all very good questions. In the opening of this message, we talked about Jesus and the kings that would conspire against him. And the Bible tells us that there were those that we're wanting him to be crucified. We're wanting him to be dead. And I want to take you to a chapter so that we can kind of look at the way that what God says about his will being done, even amongst the, the, the realm of us sinners down here. Yet God does have a plan, but he is sovereignly working even in the midst of sinful man. So I want to take you to a chapter. It's actually Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and here is the setting. If you, right after uh, the day of Pentecost, you know, the disciples were continuing to proclaim the gospel. Of course, Peter proclaimed the gospel on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls were saved and came into the kingdom. And of course, they continued to do that. And then when you get to chapter 3, it was that occasion that Peter and John are coming up to Jerusalem, to the temple there at the gate, beautiful. And there is the one, the, the, the beggar, the, the one that is crippled and he's begging and he's saying, hey, give me some alms, give me something. And it was on that occasion in Acts chapter three that Peter and John said, look, we don't have any silver, we don't have any gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that guy got up. And he walked, and he was healed, and he was running around. And it was an incredible scene, and, and it kind of spurred on some more preaching of the gospel that now the Peter and John were proclaiming the name of Christ. And if you read through that whole passage there, by the end of the day, Peter and John had been taken into custody because the Sanhedrin and the chief priests and the elders and the rulers of Israel were, were literally not wanting this to happen. They're not wanting this proclaiming of Jesus and, 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 and who he was and what he did and the power that he had and this healing. And so they were going to stamp it out. And so they took Peter and John into custody. They spent the night in jail. And they, they came before the Sanhedrin. They were severely warned, and this was the warning. 
You will not preach, you will not proclaim this name, the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You will no longer preach in the name of Jesus. Understood? And they were released. And where did the disciples go? Where did Peter and John go? They went right back to the disciples, to the house where they were meeting. And they came into the house and they told everybody in the house about what they had been warned about, the, the threat that they were no longer to proclaim the name of Christ. And so what did they do? They said, okay, well, I guess this is it. Let's just pack in our bags and you know, go back to fishing and tax collecting or whatever it is we can do. No, they said, we're gonna have a prayer meeting. We're gonna have a prayer meeting. And in that prayer is revealed some very important theology. I wanna take you to that prayer. It, it begins at verse 23 of Acts 24. It says this, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David hath said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ? Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Okay, what's this about? What, was, what were they appealing to God to in this prayer? They were appealing to the sovereignty of God. They're appealing to the sovereignty of God. They looked at everything that had transpired. They're considering the threats of the Sanhedrin, the elders, and the chief priests. And what are they doing? They're going to prayer. And this is one thing that you can do in prayer, is you can, and you see this all the way through Scripture, men and women of God who pray, reminding God of who he is. <laughs> God, you're God, the maker of heaven and earth. You own this place. You, in the Greek, it's actually the word despotis. It's actually where you, you actually get the word of sovereign Lord, of owner, right? So they're saying, Lord God, you're the God of this. You're the, you're the creator. You made this place. You own this place. You're sovereign over this place. Now, you have, everything that you've said has come to pass. You spoke by your, your, your servant David. And he, they quoted Psalm 2 to the Lord and said, we've just witnessed this. We've just witnessed 
the nations raging and the people plotting vain things, the kings of the earth and the rulers gathered together against your anointed. We just were witnesses of this. You're in sovereign control. Hey, look at verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, know, you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So what is this saying? That is, he, is this saying that that group of people, and there's pretty much everybody included there, <laughs> if you notice that, you have the Roman governor, you have the Jewish governor, you have the Jews, and you have the Gentiles. So the implication is that everybody kind of worked together to make this happen. Are they off the hook? because they did this sin, because they conspired, because they brought false allegations, false accusations against the Christ, because they conspired together behind closed doors to bring these false charges, sending out guards to arrest him, sending out doing these things? Are they off the hook because God had foreordained it? No. In spite of their sin, God brought about his will in the situation. He brought about the death of Christ. Jesus laid down his life, but there's a, there was a scenario by which it actually occurred that he was framed, he was brought up on false charges. He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did was arraigned and tried. He went before Pontius Pilate. He was sent to Herod, came back to Pilate, and finally, because of the outcry of the Jews and the crowds and the Gentiles mixed in, he condemned him to crucifixion. Even as Pilate washing his hands saying, I'm, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Even through each one of those actions, those plans, those plots, God brought about his sovereign will. And going back to our text in, Gen in Genesis 27, what did God do there? God, the sovereign will of God happened even though you had all the parties that were, had their angle, all the parties trying to make their thing happen, and yet God, what God had determined beforehand should happen is going to take place. And so God, even working in and bringing about Jacob as the patriarch that would carry forth the, the Abrahamic covenant and be that one through his seed, through Jacob's seed that would bring the Christ into the world. And so it's all according to the sovereignty of God. Now, so we learned a little doctrine tonight on the sovereignty of God. Now, how do we, how do we connect the dots and, and do anything with this 
for our lives tonight. The sovereignty of God is something that you can trust in, in your life. You will go through your life and you will feel like, well, I'm doing this and I'm making decisions and I'm planning and I'm doing and all this. And we've got to realize that God is sovereign over all of our lives. He's sovereign over all the earth. And so we can rest assured that God is working his plan. He's, he's going to bring it about. And so if God has spoken his word to you, God's going to bring it about. If God has brought a promise to you, God is going to bring it about. If you have the hope of salvation and the joy of the Lord in you, God is going to continue to bring that about. And so we need to be people who are informed by the sovereignty of God and less moved by the things that are happening around us that we feel like things are getting out of control. We need to be, when things look out of control, we need to be reminded that they're very much in control. Amen? That we have a sovereign God who was working his plan, that Jesus was the, was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Plan A, not plan B. Amen. And he's working that plan and he's working that plan in you as you have now come into the kingdom of God and become a son or a daughter. And he's working that plan all the way to fulfillment as Jesus Christ will one day come and place his feet upon the Mount of Olives and come back to this earth to rule and reign. And that's where we're headed, folks. And so wherever we are, wherever we are in that timeline, we can count and trust on the sovereignty of God and the plan of God to be completed in our lives. And the thing that we're, we're banking on is what we talked about tonight, that he brought about the sacrifice of his son on the cross for you and me, that we might live forever and ever and ever.